Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. You know, the calling to serve in the armed forces can be a really challenging one. And author Dwight A. Scott has written a book to inspire those who choose this path. It's called Armed Forces Devotional Guide to a Fulfilling Career. I'm really pumped that Dwight is right here with me now, and we're going to talk all about the book. Dwight, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's my pleasure to have you, Dwight. Thank you so much for your time. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Armed Forces Devotional Guide to a Fulfilling Career? Yes. So I've written a devotion to help guide military personnel across all the branches in their walk with Christ, uh, in their faith. Hmm. Sometimes it can be very challenging while we're in the uniform, and so I've, I've laid out some, some basic guidelines to, to help navigate that. Hmm. What was your inspiration to write this? What lit the spark and told you, hey, i got to sit down and write this book and get it published? You know, one of the things that really kind of sparked my interest is one, just really wanting to continue to give back to the military community. I was also in the military community. I'm a veteran now, and so I understand and know the challenges that we face. I understood my own challenges and what I had to overcome, and I wanted to be able to help others. You know, that's something that I always wanted to do is if I can help somebody avoid going through what I had to go through, then I want to be able to do that. And so that's what kind of inspired me to write the book is to help give back to the military community. Hmm. What does your writing background look like, Dwight? Have you ever done anything like this before? So, you know, I've never done a devotional. However, I do enjoy writing. And so probably about, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so ago, I think in 2012, I wrote a poetry book when I was writing poetry a lot. Mm. I was prompted or I felt the urge to write a poetry book or publish a poetry book. And so I've done that. But this was a little bit different for sure. The construct of a devotional is definitely a little bit different than a poetry book. (laughs) For sure. Did it take you a long time to do? It took me about, I would say, three months or so. What was fascinating about it is that I I just kind of like felt like I had it in me, like I had the material Mm -hmm. in me. So it was just a matter of just getting the thoughts together and putting it on paper. Dwight, can you tell me about that moment when you finally get that first hard copy into that book? You know, that thing you've just been looking at on the computer screen all that time and putting all that energy into. What's it like to actually hold that thing for the first time? Oh, you know, it it was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was an awesome feeling to see through completion. You know, again, I think the fact that I wrote a devotional that, you know, something that talks about, that's, you know, sharing my faith and being able to share that with other believers Mm -hmm. uh, or non-believers, whoever may want to read the book, but just, you know, to do that, you know, across the world is just, to share that is just awesome feeling to know that people can pick up that book and be able to relate to it. Dwight, now you have a couple books out there, and it's obvious you have a lot to share with the world. What are the chances we'll be seeing more from you in the future? I think there's a good chance. (laughs) I think there's a good chance that we'll definitely see some more work from me. Like I said, you know, I I like to share my my lessons learned. 
I'm big on that. And so I think there'll be more lessons to learn as I navigate life. <laughs> mm, fantastic. You know, a lot of people listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out. So, Dwight, what words of wisdom or inspiration would you have for them? You know, I think my biggest thing is that believe in yourself mm. and just trust the process. It can be a little discouraging at some times, but if you know that you just drive this passion, then listen to that driving passion mm. and let that be a thing to, to motivate you to, to accomplish something as writing a book. That's good advice. You know, it's obvious that your relationship with the Lord is something that inspires and motivates your life, Dwight. Do you have people in your life who kind of do the same thing, who can motivate you and encourage and inspire you along the way? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have several people from, you know, either the military or just growing up in life. And I would say one of the persons most recently here is a good friend of mine that I've kind of reconnected with over the years. It's just great to have friends like that to share the same faith where you can kind of motivate each other. Absolutely. I know there are a lot out there who are going to really benefit and find inspiration in this book. It's titled Armed Forces Devotional Guide to a Fulfilling Career. It's written by Dwight A. Scott, and this is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can grab it up everywhere, like at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Dwight, thank you again for joining me on the show and telling me about all your work. I had a really nice time chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you again. Being a first-time manager or a leader in an organization can be complex and mind-boggling, to say the least. But Dr. Terry Carter's new book aims to help this. It's titled, How to Succeed as a First-Time Manager. And I'm really happy that Dr. Carter is right here with me now, and we get to talk all about the book. Dr. Carter, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Can you tell me what you've written about and how to succeed as a first-time manager? So, I wrote this book to help first-time managers because I was one of those managers. When I got promoted, I did not know what to do. One day I was a manager and the other day I was a staff nurse. So to navigate the waters, I made a lot of mistakes. And so I wrote the book so that I helped my other managers so that they don't get, uh, they save themselves time hmm. and just to succeed instead of having to navigate the waters that I did. Hmm. Do you think this is the kind of book that would help managers in the business world only or would they help in other types of organizations as well? Well, I, I work in healthcare and I was mainly in healthcare, but the book is uh, helpful for anybody who has one or two people who are reporting to them. So mm -hmm. any industry, because if somebody transitioning from their technical skill or technical expertise to get into the manager role. When it comes to writing and publishing, have you ever done anything like that before? No, I have never done a, I've never, this is my first book published and mm. first I started off as an e-book, then I saw, you know, I was passing it out to the managers that I was mentoring and then I saw, oh, like it could be a book and so uh, it turned out to be a book and it has helped a lot of people because I lied through my own eyes when I was a first-time manager, mm. which I grew. But the book is mainly for first-time managers within their first three years. The main focus is on how to manage the manager's self and how to manage the business of management. Hmm. Now, this is definitely a book a lot of people are going to need. It, did this take you a long time to write and then put through the publishing process? Yes, it took me about writing in bits and pieces and then 
it took me about a year or two to complete it. And when you got that first copy and finally, after all that time and hard work, Dr. Carter, what was that moment like for you when you finally got to hold it in your hands? Well, it was very exciting. And I was actually not, not only excited for me, I was excited for the many managers who will be helped by the book mm. and who will save themselves time and who will benefit from the book. What are the chances you'll be writing more and publishing more in the future? Well, I'm writing my second book. It's still going to be focused on the first-time managers because, you know, there are a lot of books about management and leadership. Mm. And when I was going through my own struggles, I could not find a book that was specific for the first time. It was mm. all about management, leadership. And when I went to college, when I was doing my leadership and management courses, there was a lot of information, but nobody had narrowed it down to the, you know, the first time. Mm. You are doing this. How do you separate yourself from your peers? Because you're promoted within your peer group. How do you separate yourself from your peer group? And how do you let, get your peers to be your direct report and still hold that professional relationship? Next, how do you choose other new peer groups? Because, you know, as a manager, you're like a sandwich. Mm. You're between the senior leadership and you're also between your team. You cannot go crying to either. You cannot go crying to your team. And then you cannot go crying to your boss. You have to manage yourself. At the same time, manage the other people. You have to manage your team. At the same time, you have to manage your boss. Mm. So how do you navigate that and not feel overwhelmed? Well, I know a lot of people need what's in this book and should check it out. The title is How to Succeed as a First-Time Manager. It's written by Dr. Terry Carter and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it everywhere, like on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. And Dr. Carter, thank you again for joining me here at the show and telling me all about your work. I had a nice time talking. Thank you so much, and have a good evening. Joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Chef Hunter Lee. Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You know, it's really exciting. You've been publishing books, and your first one is in stores right now. It's called Louisiana, Recipes of a People Series, Ben Woods, Shirley Southern. So, Hunter, can you tell me what's in this book? Well, this book, as it says, Louisiana, Recipes of a People, this is recipes that I used throughout my early career catering and as a private chef. They're recipes basically from throughout Louisiana. We see so many recipe books here, cookbooks here, that really only focus on South Louisiana, Cajun food, Cajun cuisine. I'm actually from North Louisiana. Hmm. Most of my career was spent in South Louisiana, but I'm back in North Louisiana, and I wanted a book that represented not only me and my family recipes, but also represented the state as a whole, not just your Cajun and Creole, which don't get me wrong, are wonderful. <laughs> but when you get in North Louisiana, a lot, of, a lot of people from a lot of other states don't realize it's very different. Mm. It's more of an old-fashioned Southern cooking. Of course, it blends. They kind of meld together with the Cajun and the Creole, but it's a lot more Southern up here. So I tried to encompass all of that. And with this book, we've got side dishes, family recipes. It's really, it doesn't have a lot of like your cocktail party stuff and all that. I more or less saved that for the second book. This is your family style recipes and your old traditional Southern and Louisiana recipes. Hmm. 
Hunter, would I have to be a master chef like you to be able to get some of these right? No, not at all. Look, there's a lot of recipes in this book that came from my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. And, of course, there's a lot that I, I created and used throughout my career. But there's some of these recipes that I've cooked as a kid that certainly didn't have any expertise in cooking. That I guess that came much later. These recipes, there's a few that are somewhat complex, but for the most part, these are easy to read, easy to make, easy to find ingredients. Mm. And I'm sure there are countless recipes that you've cooked up over the years, Chef. So how long did it take you to figure out which ones to include in here and then put the whole book together? Well, we started out and I, I, I had a plan of this being a three cookbook series. Mm. And I kind of looked at it that way, that I pulled a lot of my recipes as I was making this first cookbook that I didn't use in it. I used in the second one, and some I even held to the third. I tried to do the more traditional recipes, ages-old Louisiana-style, Southern-style recipes in this one. We can talk about later. I say most of like the cocktail party appetizers, things like that, sauces, dips, I saved a lot of that for the second cookbook. Mm. This is really your Southern guide to cooking, so to speak. This is your family-style recipes and all in this first book. Mm. Hunter, have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or doing the whole publishing thing? No, I have not. In my catering days, I owned catering companies in Lafayette, Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Lake Charles, Louisiana, and eventually Shreveport, Louisiana, when I moved home. Wow. And I was offered a cookbook deal, this particular cookbook deal, years ago. But I sat down and I started writing one night and realized that I had 50 million other things <laughs> and 20 other places that Hunter needed to be. And I couldn't do it all. Mm. And I just had to call them back and I said, look, even though this is part of my dream, it's just not right now. Mm. And so here I am, 18 years later, I, I was forced to retire with health issues about eight years ago. And COVID hit, some family tragedy, things like that. And I was more or less stuck at home. And so I called and I, I spoke with them. I said, hey, think you'd still be interested in a cookbook? And they were like, well, yes and no. I mean, we were very interested in it then, but I mean, you've basically been at home and were a nobody for almost a decade. Mm. So we don't know. Send us what you've got. And I sent it to them and she said, it usually takes a couple of weeks, three weeks. You'll hear back from us if we're interested in it. They called back a day and a half later and they said, we want it. And we want everything that follows it. Oh, wow. Well, this book is definitely something I think my listeners should check out, especially if you're into cooking and especially if you're into that great New Orleans food. It's called Louisiana Recipes of a People Series, Benwood's Shirley Southern. This one's written by Chef Hunter Lee and is published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can grab it up anywhere, like at Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and, of course, traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Hunter, thank you again for coming on the show and telling me all about this really delicious book. I really appreciate your time. I certainly appreciate you having me. This is a book that will bring a message of hope to everyone who reads it. The title is From the Soul of My Rubber Boots, and the author is Kimberly Dawson Hodson. I'm really happy Kimberly is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. And we get to chat all about the book. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to have you here. Can you tell me what readers are in store for with From the Soul of My Rubber Boots? Well, it's 25 short 
stories. They're my short stories. They're true miracle stories that are near and dear to my heart. And these stories happened to me over the past seven years during the journey of my late husband when he was battling cancer and uh, going through all of those things. And in the midst of that, I had a sudden death of my little brother. Oh, sorry. And these stories happened on my farm with my little animals, and they're amazing, true miracle stories. And the thread through this book is I get these gut feelings or these promptings to go outside. One example is I woke up in the middle of the night at midnight, and I had a prompting to go outside and check my goats at midnight. So I did. I went outside, and the goat was in the middle of labor, and she was in trouble. And I was able to save her and the baby. And they're just amazing miracle moments of really crazy, adventurous, life and death kind of amazing stories that bring hope. And they brought me lots and lots of hope when I was in such a sad place, trying to help my late husband battle the cancers that he had. Mm. You mentioned the farm and the animals, and now the cover is making a lot more sense to me. Can you go into that? Sure. Actually, the first story in this book is about this goat that is on the cover with me. Her name is Daisy. She was my first milking goat that I got. And the first story is all about how I got her. But as I got her, the day that I got her was only a few days after my late husband was actually healed from one of his bouts of cancer. So we were so happy. And we went and I got my miracle goat after we got our miracle, you know, healing of his cancer. And I dreamed of having a milking goat. And I brought her home. And then a few days later, I got the message that my little brother died. And um, this goat, Daisy, was the reason I got up out of the bed every day because I had to go milk her. She needed me. Mm. And I would go out and, you know, she'd put her head on my shoulder and I would milk and I would cry and I would ask, you know, why? Why did this happen? But as I would go and sit with her and I would milk her every day, I'd get more and more peace. And she really helped me on my journey and helped me to start listening to the gut feelings and the promptings, to notice things around me and those little things. If we pay attention, we can see miracle things instead of getting caught up in just our day-to-day routines. This book is full of amazing, true stories of feeling prompted to go and do something. And I, you know, I'll find something amazing happen on the farm. And I have goats and chickens and rabbits and horses. And Daisy is on the cover because she kind of started it all that, that day. Wow. What was that moment like for you, Kimberly, whenever you finally got the first physical copy of this book in and you got to hold and look at this thing that you've put so much into? It was really so, I was so deeply thankful. It was so heartfelt because this book is it's me being very vulnerable about my journey through my late husband and my little brother's passing, and especially the challenges of his cancer. And this is me, and this is these are my true stories. And it's one thing to see my patients respond and feel hope, but now it's in a book. And my purpose of this book is I want to bring I really want it to bring hope to people. I want these stories to bring hope to people the way these stories brought hope to me because this is how I made it through the saddest parts of my life. Mm. And each story, at the end of it, there's a gift of hope in it. And there, the, the, the essence of this book is it's true. And the thread through it, again, is listening to those gut feelings and those promptings. Well, I know this book is, in fact, going to bring an awful lot of people a lot of hope, and I encourage my listeners to definitely check it out. The title is From the Soul of My Rubber Boots. 
It's by Kimberly Dawson Hodson, and it's published by Fulton Books. Of course, you can pick it up everywhere, like at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and iTunes, Google Play, and down the street at your local bookshops. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much again for joining me here on the show and telling me your story and about everything that went into From the Soul of My Rubber Boots. I really enjoyed our time together tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Former bat boy for the New York Yankees, Louis Castillo, is joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Louis, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Good evening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me, Reader House Podcast. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you being here and talking with me tonight. And it's super exciting because you have a book out called The Lucky Baseball. So, Louis, can you give me a taste for what you've written about here? Oh uh, yeah, the the Lucky Baseball. It's an inspirational kids book for all the kids all around the world, not just baseball kids. It's a little bit of reality of my childhood growing up in the South Bronx, New York. How mean society could be. Looking to fit into society, looking for friends, and along my life journey through a cartoon character, the baseball squeegee, who uh, Derek Jeter gave me the nickname. If people don't know who Derek Jeter is, the captain of the New York Yankees, who I got to work for as a bat boy. Wow! So I used the cartoon character to inspire kids that it's okay to go through ups and downs in life because you're going to have mentors like a Derek Jeter or David Cohn or someone from your communities that guide you into the positive roads and positive influences in life. Squeegee the Lucky Baseball is actually a mixture of reality with a little bit of imagination. Wow, sounds really great. Lewis, what was the inspiration that lit the spark for you to say, hey, I got to sit down, write this book and put it out there for the world? I actually sat down with David Cohn, who is a former Major League Baseball player and mm. my childhood idol and my best friend. So I ran by him and Dallas Strawberry, who also played baseball. They're good friends of mine wow. since I was a bat boy. And I ran it by them that I, I wanted to speak about them and their mentorships of what they guided me through life since the age of 15 till now, 40 years old. And what they did for me, baseball and New York Yankees organization saved my life. So I just, this book is basically paying thank you to all those mentors, my mom as well, and Tina Lewis, the bleacher creature, the lady who got me the job of writing a letter to the Yankee organization. And all these people combined, I just wanted a lie to give them their flowers and entwine my life story as well in it. Wow. Lewis, have you ever written a book before? Have you ever published? Yes, this is actually my second book. My hmm. first book was an adult's book called Clubhouse Confidential. It's not a, a tell-all book. It's a book about my life experiences from 15 years old, and a lot of players pushed for it, like David Cohn, Jeter, Posada, you know, all the dynasty-era baseball players that I worked for during the dynasty from 1998 to 2005. Mm. It was just telling every relationship. It's 28 chapters, and I've written a chapter on each player that I had a relationship and a memory with. Mm. And all these guys were proud of it. And it's just saying I was very fortunate and blessed with God giving me the opportunity to live out my dreams at a young age and travel to different states and do what I love to do, play baseball. Mm. Lewis, I'm sure you have so many rich experiences and memories to draw on for this book, The Lucky Baseball. So did it take you a long time to put together and then publish? Good question. The book took me about a year the Lucky Baseball, because I wanted to 
make sure that every interaction and for kids out there to understand that you're not alone and to get the message that it's okay and get families back together, parents and grandparents reading to their grandchildren or their children at home at least 30 minutes a day. That's my mission for this book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thanking everyone for their support. A lot of people on social media has been sending me pictures of their kids reading together with them. It's a beautiful experience. It's a motivational, inspirational story. It took me a, a year to get everything into one, and I did a lot of rough drafts. Writing a book is not easy, but uh, mm -hmm. if you put your heart and passion into it, it could get done. And I recommend kids to write books and write their personal experiences. It's fun being an author. Absolutely, it is. <laughs> I know a lot of people are going to be inspired by this book. I encourage my listeners to check it out for sure. It's called The Lucky Baseball. It's written by Louis Castillo. It's published by Newman Springs Publishing. Of course, you can grab this one up anywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and also down the street at your local bookshops. Well, Louis, it's been wonderful having you on the show and chatting with you all about your work. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Reader's House, for having me. Thank you. God bless you, brother, and God bless everyone, and have a happy new year to all the listeners out there. The Footprints of Her Soul is the name of the new book in stores now, written by Vivi Tran, and Vivi is sitting right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. We get to talk all about the book. Vivi, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Vivi, can you tell me what you've written about in The Footprints of Her Soul? Well, it's a memoir of a little girl growing up in Vietnam during the war and the long road of childhood poverty. Since I was a little girl, I realized that being poor does not change who you are, your value, or your dignity. Hmm. And then as growing up, you use this strategy to manage your life and to be grateful and humble and appreciate life in your later years. Hmm. Vivi, where did the idea or the inspiration for this book come from? Well, it's really, actually, I did not want to write a book. It was my grandson, while his mother was in a hospital, delivered my second grandchild. I babysit him, and he kept asking me, what was, what was it like, Grandma, when you were a little girl? Because I would say, well, you know, you have to eat food because in Vietnam, the children are hungry and mm. so don't waste it. So he always asked. And so because of that, it inspired me to write a memoir. But I actually, I wrote an autobiography instead because it's just for him, for my grandchildren. It wasn't meant to be for publication. But then later on, earlier this year, I found my diary that I had since I wrote since I was 16. And it was just my private, my diary of my life. And so I read it and every line is like a story. Mm. So I had it transcribed into a story in Vietnamese. Mm. And I let both of my sister read it. And then they said, oh, my God, I didn't realize this is what's going on in your life. Why don't you write it in English so that, you know, my family can share it, too, because they married to an American. And so I said, OK. So I translated into English. And as I was doing that, it's really still my decision to put this in my biography, to put it into a book. But I could not publish the autobiography, so I have to change that into a memoir and to combine these two together. 
And that's how it all began. Mm -hmm. Did it take you a long time to do this? The biography, I wrote it, you know, when my grandson was four years old, and he's now 15. It was never intended for publication. So I, you know, I just wrote and left it there so that I thought when I die, my daughter's going to find it and give it to them. That's my thought. But the, earlier this year, I finished, after I found my diary, I finished it in May. And that's when I saw the publication, the publishing, yes. Vivi, have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing or publishing? Yes. No, I wrote a lot of essay and short story in Vietnamese since I was in my teen. I was in Vietnamese in Vietnam, and they were published you know, in local papers and in children's magazines. But it was just like short story, family story, or essay of things that I thought about. Mm. Yeah. I can only imagine the moment when you got the first physical copy in of The Footprints of Her Soul, Vivi. What was that like for you? I know. Oh, I, I went into my room by myself. It, it's, it's quiet and silent. I held a book in my hand. And I don't know why, but I thought of my parents, mm. and I thanked them for my life, and then I cried. I don't know how to explain it, but it was just, it was just something that, it's like I was doing it for them, mm. you know? Yeah. I think a lot of readers are going to be blessed by this book. It's titled, The Footprints of Her Soul. It's written by Vivi Tran, and it's published by Newman Springs Publishing. And, of course, you can get it anywhere, like on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, on iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Vivi, it's been wonderful chatting with you tonight here about your book. I really enjoyed our time together. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. The Trials and Tribulations of J.D. Baby Cakes. That's the new book in stores right now, written by D.A. Walker. And D.A. is right here with me now, and we get to chat all about it. D.A., welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thank you so much, Corey. I appreciate you. Well, I certainly appreciate your time tonight, D.A. So tell me, what can readers expect in the trials and tribulations of J.D. Baby Cakes? Well, first of all, it's fictional, and it's sprinkled with humor and saturated times with a spiritual presence in both thoughts and actions of the Huron in this book, which is J.D. Baby Cakes. And J.D. Baby Cakes, in my opinion, is a little bit of each of us. She's imperfect. She has a wandering mind that seems to focus on specific as well as wider issues of our society through wit and humor. Having said this, J.D. Baby Cakes has a mysterious side to her as well. The book is broken down into 106 individual short stories of 150 words or less. So it's quick reading with pauses of forethought and reflections for those readers who wish to dig deeper into the context. And at the end of each story is a lesson of some sort, whether it be a gleam of enlightenment, words of wisdom, or a discombobulated thought that may make sense to some and not to others. This is the imperfect beauty of Baby Cake's mindset, as she is sometimes called. And finally, Corey, J.D. Baby Cakes tends to mimic everyday life as most of us know it. She is in evolution. She continues to evolve with time, with life experiences, in wisdom, in truth, and in conflict. And this is what makes her human, her overall imperfection of knowing her strengths as well as deficiencies. It's about one person's odyssey, namely J.D. Baby Cakes, whose life exemplifies what the majority of we as individuals want to understand ourselves. Who am I? A leader, a follower, an in-betweener, 
or space saver. Hmm. So what gave you the idea or the inspiration to write this book and publish it for the world? Wow, that is an easy one. Believe it or not, it was really the Holy Spirit. It's been a very, I just call it divine intervention. I say my Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And I guess for those who aren't from the spiritual realm, they wouldn't understand that. But those who do and are, they do understand that. And I can't give any other credit to anyone else. And before this, have you ever written or published before? Oh, yeah. I haven't published, but I have written. And actually, I've got six other books that I've written, but have never been published. So this is my first book published. And believe it or not, a sequel, part two, is coming to the Trials and Tribulations of J.D. Baby Cakes, which is almost halfway completed. And again, this was definitely not on my radar. (laughs) Did this take you a long time to write and then put through all those publishing processes? Great question. So the inspiration came from a short story I entered into a contest, and the instructions were that it had to be 125 words or less with a quirky ending. Believe it or not, Corey, this was on September 28, 2012. Yes, 10 years ago. And I never heard a yay or nay from the publishing company. Now, fast forward to October 2019, through divine intervention, my book assignment began. And so after 106 written stories, I made my first publishing company inquiry in September 2020, which was at Christian Faith Publishing Company, a very appropriate name. And after researching them, I submitted my manuscript in November 2020 and also signed on officially with them. So in answer to your question, it took me just under a year. Mm. After all that time, all that work that you put into it, what was that moment like for you when you finally got that first physical copy in? What was that like? Oh, my gosh. Honestly, it was just a sense of gratitude Mm. and, yeah, just plain gratitude and being humbled that God continues to elevate me spiritually through my obedience and my trust and my patience to this magnificent gift he has finally bestowed upon me. Because it's just, it's always been a feat, a seed that has been planted that I knew that according to God's plan for me, it was going to be something magnificent. And, you know, again, it's all about being obedient. Mm. I think a lot of people are going to be into this book and should check it out. I hope so. The title is The Trials and Tribulations of J.D. Baby Cakes. It's written by D.A. Walker and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can grab this one up anywhere, like at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble, at iTunes and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. D.A., thank you again for coming on the show, telling me all about your work. I had a really nice time talking. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity, Corey. Thank you so much. God bless. Talking with me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Sharon Boykin. Sharon, thank you for joining me tonight. Welcome to the show. Awesome. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. And I imagine you're doing pretty well. You have a new book in stores right now. It's called Alleys of Your Mind. Release Your Mind and the Rest Will Follow. So, Sharon, can you tell me about this book? Well, it chronicles my life for sure. The first 23 years of things that I was, came out of when I went toward the Lord. And it's the only way that I could uh, explain it is that I was going toward the Lord because he's the only one that could help me. Mm. What sorts of readers were you writing for here, Sharon? I was writing for people that don't understand that they may be in something that goes against what God would have for them. Just everyday things that we may conquer or come across that we may have grew up with and think it's okay to do. And I found myself in a dark place 
following some of those things that I thought was just natural and everyday things. So what sparked you to write your story and publish it for the world? Well, what started the part of it, I was watching Locked Up Abroad, which is a little show on uh, Nat Geo. And I told my husband, I turned to him and I said, I got a story. And I told him about it. And it kind of triggered a whole lot of things that I wanted to share because I know that others have been in those situations where they trusted a friend and got them in a situation they shouldn't have been in. But it also opened up my mind to just share things that I grew up with, misusing my gifts that God had given me. Mm. I'd assume this might have been sort of tough for you to write your story and everything that you went through. Did this take you a long time? It did. It was very hard to write. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, actually, Mm. you know, to just share myself like that. And just go into the inner parts of my mind and just let God use me because I wanted to share with those that do not know the truth about it. And it was very hard. Over a period of time, I wrote down different journals, you know, just within the past 10 years mainly. And it all just came together when I started watching that show and just different things I went through throughout life. Just brought it all together. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing or publishing? Well, I hadn't published anything uh, yet, but I did have a whole lot of things that I wrote for different friends. They wanted to express themselves in letters or just different things and playwriting. I can do that. and I can uh, improv act. Mm. And I did a lot of acting in various plays. You know, I can just put words together that make sense. I love true stories. And a lot of that, I believe, come from the inside, just how I feel about a true story being told the right way. Mm. Sounds like you really enjoy writing, Sharon. Can we expect more books from you in the future then? I believe so. I believe so. I'm, it's so much more I can tell about Alleys of Your Mind. Just a lot of things that couldn't go in the book at that moment. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of different parts to certain segments of it that I know I can explain more and go into more detail. A lot of people listening to us right now, Sharon, are authors who are just starting out. So do you have any words of wisdom that you could offer them? Well. I would say be true to yourself. Don't overthink it. And I think if you just be true to yourself and go that route, it'll be easier to do. Because if you overthink it, you may put too much on you and never finish the project. We can all start a project, but it's the finishing part. That's the important thing. Absolutely. Sharon, you said this was one of the toughest things that you've ever had to do in your life. So when that day finally came and the first hard copy of Alice of Your Mind came in, what was that moment like for you? I work on projects. So I was out of town and my husband told me, Bay, your books, uh, some books have came to the house. And I said, open them up. And I had him come up the weekend to see me about 400 miles. He drove and wow. he bought me one. And I tell you what. When I had that in my hand, it was just like, okay, it's out now. Now what? Because (laughs) there's nothing you can do at that point Mm -hmm. but accept (laughs) it and take it by the horn and say, go. Mm -hmm. And I just felt overwhelmed. It was overwhelming. Overwhelming. No other way to put it. I know a lot of people are going to be blessed by your story, Sharon. The title of this book is Alleys of Your Mind. Release Your Mind and the Rest Will Follow. This is written by Sharon Boykin, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find it anywhere, like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iTunes, and also traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Well, Sharon, it's been wonderful having you on the show here tonight. Thanks again for joining me. I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you. 
Sitting down with me right here now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Terry Godfrey. Terry, thanks for joining me here tonight. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. You just put out an audiobook of your book, Ka Takin. Can you tell me, first of all, about Ka Takin? What's it all about? It's about a group of young adults that leave Central America. Their leader is Erdrick, and he's the third son of a cruel ruler. And they leave, and it's, it's a large band, and they leave Central America around 500, 700 A.D., and they battle their way north to the plains. And once in the plains, they build their own city with a pyramid in the middle, and they line it with gold. Well, where'd you get the idea for this story, Terry? It sounds really imaginative. Many years ago, I visited Chitin Itza hmm. and did a tour there and was kind of intrigued by it. And I did a little further research and reading about the culture. Hmm. But I had a really good tour guide that explained a lot of things to us. When you started writing the book, how long of a process was it for you to get it all finished up and then published? It took me about three months to write it. It took about 10 months to get it published through Covenant Books, to get it in print. And then it took about another five months to get the audiobook out. That's fantastic. You did the audiobook version of this. What made you decide to go that route? It had been suggested to me by the publisher, and then I was contacted by them. So we, we checked into it pretty close and went ahead and went that route. I've had a lot of people go and ask me when I do book sales, ask me about audiobooks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's quite a bit of expense in doing that. So I was kind of leery, but I went ahead and tried it this time. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, audiobooks are certainly huge right now. The process of getting that recorded and getting it all together, was that a smooth one for you? Yes, it was. The people that I worked with were amazing. They were really great to work with. Now, Terry, what sorts of readers do you think would really be into the story you're telling in Ka Takin? Well, originally I had thought that it would be historical fiction, but the publisher suggested going the route of young adults and military. So I'm going to say young males, some females would really go after it, be interested in it. But the youngest one in there in the book is 14, around 14. The oldest is around 30. And like I said, they battle. They, they go you know, on their travels. They go through ter- strange territories and different tribes and cultures that they have to fight their way through. But they do make some friends along the way. Mm. Have you thought about more writing in the future, getting more published and maybe more audiobooks? Well, actually, this is one of my later books, last books. I've got 11 books that I've written. Hmm. Most of them are self-published, but I've got one of them that's a bestseller that if this goes well, I will probably look at doing an audiobook on it. What's the most rewarding part of doing all this for you, Terry, writing and publishing, putting your work out there for the world? recognition, but a sense of fulfillment. Hmm. A lot of people listening to us right now are authors who are just starting out, and you've done this a lot, Terry. you got a lot of experience. What advice could you offer them? Once you complete it, you're writing, get a proofreader. Hmm. It doesn't have to be someone professional. I used my mother, which is a retired school teacher, to do the original first proofread. 
Once you get it proofread, check it. Make sure you want to make those changes. Once you do that, read through it yourself again, and then you're going to find some mistakes that you want to correct. Mm. Do that, and then get an editor and have it, you know, semi or professionally edited. Very wise. Well, it happens to most of us, and that's writer's block. Terry, do you deal with writer's block sometimes, and then how do you get over it? Occasionally, but for me, I haven't had much trouble with that. I do have something I'm working on that's going very slow for me. I've kicked some books out in like two weeks. And this, like I said, this one I did in three months. So I find that that's fairly fast for a majority of writers. I know a lot of listeners right now would really be into this book, and they should check it out. The title is Ka Takin. It's written by Terry Godfrey, and it's published by the Audiobook Network. Of course, you can get this at Amazon.com. Terry, thanks again for joining me. I had a really nice time talking with you tonight. I hope we could do this again sometime. Well, I need to look forward to it. I'm joined right now by author Keith Boyce here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Keith, welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a new book out in stores right now titled Zebedee's Fish Market. So, Keith, can you tell me what readers can expect? It's my take on filling in the believability to bring Bible characters to life. Many of us know the story of James and John and Peter and Andrew on the shore. Jesus comes by and says, you know, I'll make you fishers of men. They drop their nets and they follow. I like that. I believe it. But I also believe that it probably wasn't the first time that they saw him. So I decided to fill in some blanks for, for myself, and it, it's, a, it's a good conversation piece for parents with children and a nice story anyway. How did the idea for this come about, Keith? The idea probably started, I did a pilgrimage to the Holy Land with my wife and a, and a church group about six, seven years ago. So you kind of was in, you know, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee waited in the Sea of Galilee hmm. at the uh, Church of the Primacy of Peter, you know, walked through Capernaum. And so that kind of just sat there and said, this is history, it's real. You know, so you get that feeling. And then uh, as my oldest grandson got older, he'd want, you know, bedtime stories. So you just started one night, I kind of pieced a little bit of this together and had it in my mind. I was talking to some friends two Christmases ago. They were talking about The Chosen. And I mentioned this and they said, Keith, you really should do something more with it. You know, I said, that's a neat little idea. This is what I hadn't seen any of the chosen yet and said, right, we, we have to stick with facts when we know facts, but we can also fill in some blanks. Did Zebedee's Fish Market take you a long time to write? No. no again, they, uh, it's a little bit like I've got a, you know work experience putting together a presentation, putting together a document, things along those lines over the years. So you kind of get the main points in your mind. So this story probably percolated in my mind for a few months, but that's the beauty of a children's book. It's not so long that you can actually go uh, pen to paper or uh, keyboard to document over a, a few days to get the draft together. You know, go through the your own little editing process. I had my wife do some editing and and double-checking and double-check your scripture. If you're going to tie in, get it right. Mm. And again, it was uh, proud of it and submitted it to Covenant Books, and it was accepted. And I didn't know from there whether it really was good or they accept everything, but it was kind of like, okay, let's see what the process does. Keith, when that day came and you got that first physical copy of Zebedee's Fish Market in, what was that moment like for you? 
It really was. It, it was. It was special getting the uh, you know a real, especially the hard copy book. The paperback copies came first, and I was bringing one of those, giving each of the grandchildren one of those. But I brought one down to my daughter in Charlotte, and it wasn't the hard copy one. I had left one on the coffee table. The youngest, she's just eighteen months, and she was out early on Sunday morning. The morning we're leaving, and she wanders over, picks up the the book, she pulls it over to her chair. I happened to catch a picture, not thinking that this was all this pre-planned moment. It just makes me smile every time I look at it. That she's reading Pop's book. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a neat feeling. Is this your first time in the arena of writing and publishing, Keith? Not, not a book. I've uh, a, a career in technology, so I've had some articles written in a couple of magazine articles. I've had a number of technical journal papers written, so I'm not a bad writer. I've been mean, uh, grammatically pretty good, uh, know how to do a story, but this is you know nothing like this ever tried. Do you think we can expect more from you in the future as far as writing and publishing, Keith? Yeah, I do. I've got kind of, <laughs> I've got one that's uh, along the same lines and probably might try to get it actually uh, written between uh, Christmas and New Year's when I get a little bit of time to really sit down and think about that. But another little, uh, some Bible characters, which everyone knows by name, but don't really know the story, how they became friends of Jesus. So that, and I think it's the pilgrimage is doing. I've got, I've got another one, and I don't know whether it's a short story, a picture book, or uh, something more deep with uh, St. James. I just came back with the, uh, from a pilgrimage to uh, Santiago de Compostela. Here's another person who's known, he's revered throughout Spain, and there's very little written about the man. So it's like, that's a canvas that I'd like to work on also, but I just don't know that, don't know that work is, but I'm inspired to do something. Well, I know families are going to love this book. It's called Zebedee's Fish Market. It's written by Keith Boyce, and it's published by Covenant Books. Of course, you can pick it up everywhere like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Keith, it's been really great having you on the show and talking about the book. Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, I did too. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 